Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Four Vaginas Only podcast. In this episode, it is my 50th episode of the podcast, which is so crazy to think about. Such a wild, wild ride. But before we get into what this episode's going to be about, because it's going to be a little bit special, as usual, first things first, let's cue the music. Hello and welcome to Four Vaginas Only, the podcast about everything female. I'm your host, Dr. Celestine, bringing you important information about understanding your health and body in the way you wish your doctor would actually explain it. All right, now that music never, ever gets old. It truly makes me think about the very first time I created kind of the soundtrack for Four Vaginas Only, and it makes me feel really, really warm and fuzzy inside whenever I listen to it. So let's get into it. This is the 50th episode, 5-0. I've made 50 of these, which is crazy to think about. In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit unique. What I'm going to kind of talk through are the top five episodes of the Four Vaginas Only podcast, the top five things that you guys like to listen to. I'm going to have clips from each of them, important clips, which I think resonated with a lot of you. And those of you that haven't listened to these episodes, you can hear a little bit of the clip in this episode. And then if you want, you can go back and listen to the full episode on the Four Vaginas Only podcast on all podcast streaming platforms. So we're going to kind of hit them backwards from number five most listened to episode to the top number one most listened to episode. And along the way, I'm going to give you a little bit of what I call kind of tips and tricks when it comes to gynecology. We're going to go through some of my most asked questions, whether it's through you guys on the podcast or through my patients in the office, which I kind of consider my patients an extension of you all, right? Because it's just everybody asking me questions, coming, talking to me about important things with women's health, both through the social media platform and in real life. Okay, so coming in at number five is my Vagina Anatomy podcast episode. This one's really special because it's the very first episode I ever recorded all the way back, I think in 2016 or 2017 for the Four Vaginas Only podcast. In this episode, for those of you that have been with me since the beginning, this is the one where I classically have you take out a mirror and follow along so you can look at your own vaginal labial anatomy to figure out what is what. So we're going to get into that one with a little clip at that part where I tell you to take out the mirror and talk about vaginal anatomy. When you find the time, take a mirror and look down there. I promise you it is not as scary as it seems. So here we go. First off, there's the labia majora. The labia majora are the thicker outer lips of the vagina. I call them lips because they literally look like lips but sideways. These are where the hair grows and is pretty much connected to or one with the inner thigh. Now we go in a little bit more to the labia minora. These are the inner lips, also sideways. They are just inside the outer labia majora and are more smooth and usually with little to no hair. Now, if you follow the labia minora up to the top, the top being the opposite way from your butt, right where the two lips meet, you'll find the clitoris. The clitoris, which gets swollen and very sensitive when a female is aroused, is under a hood of skin when you're not aroused. This skin over the clitoris, or clit as it's more commonly known, is called the clitoral hood, And that pulls back when you're aroused and the clitoris becomes apparent. You can also pull this skin back yourself, similar to an actual hood on a jacket, (laughs) and see the clitoris. Um, It kind of looks like raw 
skin a little bit. That's the only way I can really put it. But if you're looking and following along with me and doing as I'm kind of suggesting, then you see what I'm talking about. Um, so next, the opening towards the bottom half of the labia minora, bottom meaning more towards the butt, is the opening to the vagina. This opening is called the vestibule or the introitus. Those are the medical terms. And this next one can be a little difficult for all of you brave enough to still be looking with your mirror while listening to my podcast. Just follow along and you'll get it. So if you go straight down from the clitoris, just above the introitus or the vaginal opening, you'll see a small hole. That's where the pee comes out of, guys. (laughs) Or more nicely put, more medically correct, that is the urethra. Now, I know mostly everybody refers to the entire female genital area as the vagina, and I kind of allude to that as well, even with the title of this podcast, right? But if you want to get technical about it, the vagina is only the area just inside of the introitus. So that means it's completely inside your body, a tunnel of sorts, a tunnel that leads straight to our next structure that we're going to discuss. So um, just a PSA, I guess, all of these structures that we're going to discuss next, um, you cannot see from the outside. So put your mirror down. Warning, you cannot do this at home. It is not possible to see them at home. But anyway, let's continue. So the vagina ends at the cervix. If you were to feel inside the vagina with a finger or two, you will reach a stopping point. You can't go any further because the area where your cervix is stops you. The cervix is a little plump mound of tissue is pretty much what it feels and looks like, actually. And if the cervix were to be open, which it's only really open in instances where, for example, you're in labor and having a baby, you would then keep going straight down the vaginal tunnel through the cervix and right into the uterus. Did you guys take out your mirror this time? (laughs) If not, that's okay. You can go back to the very first episode, take a listen to it, follow along, and get to know what's what when it comes to your anatomy. Now, this episode makes me think about one of the top questions that I get asked by everyone, and that has to do all with vaginal discharge and vaginal odor. So I also have a podcast episode about this. I have a few where I touch on vaginal discharge and its causes, but here I just kind of want to remind everybody that what's normal and not normal. So if you have a clear to white discharge that's not itchy, has no foul odor to it, then it's most likely normal. Some people have discharge every single day. Some people only have discharge at certain parts of their menstrual cycle. Both are normal. But if your discharge is yellow, green, has a foul odor to it, and is causing symptoms like itchiness or bumps or lesions, then you need to get that checked out by your doctor. Now, the next clip we're going to talk about from previous episode is on the preeclampsia podcast episode. This episode is number four of my most listened to episodes. And I think that's because preeclampsia touches so many people during their pregnancy. So if you've ever been pregnant and you're getting your urine checked at each visit, your blood pressure checked at each, each visit, if at any point any of those labs were abnormal, your doctor probably touched on preeclampsia with you. And it's complicated. It's even hard to talk about in one or even two visits at your doctor. So listen to this episode, the full version, if you would like. And here I inserted a little clip about why preeclampsia is so important, how it affects the baby, and what delivery complications you can have if you have preeclampsia. 
basically because preeclampsia affects your entire body. It's almost like a vascular condition as well. And this is why it affects the baby and the mom. So the biggest fear of preeclampsia is that it's going to progress to eclampsia and the fetal effects. So first let's talk about the fetal effects. Since I mentioned it's a vascular condition, basically what that means in terms of the baby is that it's impairing the blood flow through the placenta. Now the placenta is in the uterus kind of feeding the baby and giving it its nutrition, to so to speak. And it's impairing the blood flow, so impairing the blood vessels that are connecting mom and baby. And that impaired blood flow leads to things like small babies, which we call intrauterine growth restriction. It leads to low fluid around the baby. So the baby is swimming in a fluid-filled sac inside of your uterus, and having low fluid has negative side effects for the fetal growth as well. It can lead to things like placental abruption, which is where the placenta actually separates from the uterus and starts to cause a lot of heavy bleeding and lead to an emergency delivery. And on the delivery front, it can lead to preterm delivery. All right. Now, the next episode that we're going to have a little clip about has to be probably my most listened to episode when it comes to social media. So the clips I've put on TikTok and social media, like Instagram and all of that. But it's my number three total listened to episode of the podcast. And that is the interview that I did with Becky Lynn, who is a sex health specialist. So it's all about sex. And you guys seem to love hearing about that. (laughs) So in this episode, we're going to talk, I'm going to actually put two clips from the episode that were really important and informative. The first clip has to do with painful sex. So let's get into it. But the painful sex, I would say, is divided into um, postmenopausal and perimenopausal vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy. Mm -hmm. And in that population, I see many, many postmenopausal women just, you know, painful sex because there's no estrogen around. And so the vagina doesn't stretch. It loses its elasticity. And within that population, there are a huge number of breast cancer patients and survivors that where if they had any estrogen, now it's being blocked, which is fantastic if you're trying to prevent breast cancer from coming back, but it wreaks havoc on the vagina and they develop painful sex. And it can be incredibly distressing. You know, here you're a breast cancer patient or now you're a survivor and nobody ever tells you all of a sudden sex is going to be painful. And you may not know that it's related to your treatment. So there's there's that group of people. That's a that's probably 50% of my painful sex patients. Wow. Okay. And then the other half is um probably um, you know, vaginismus, pelvic floor muscle spasm, vulvodynia, and the pelvic pain syndromes. So people have got like endometriosis, I see usually anxiety and depression, you know, will turn up the amplifier on pain. So I love that interview because I feel like she touched on so many things that are considered quote unquote taboo, which we should really be talking about a lot more often. So that's why I decided to put this second clip in here as well. Um, this part of the interview, we talk about orgasms and how females have kind of had a misconception about what would help them achieve that. And males have that misconception as well. So we talk a little bit about that in this next clip. So take a listen. And I definitely see women come in and they say, well, you know, I, I can't orgasm. And I always want to clarify with them which type that is. Because some women can have a clitoral orgasm just fine, but they think there's something wrong with them 
because they don't have a vaginal orgasm. And if you look in the movies, every woman, you know, you watch movies, <laughs> yeah. men and women have orgasm from penetration both at the same time, all the time. That's not always. Yeah, which is insane. Yeah, it's not realistic. <laughs> it's so not realistic. It is a turn taking thing. So this episode makes me think about another really common question that I get asked, and it has to do with hormone imbalancing or checking your hormones. Now, I've touched on this in other podcast episodes, and I'll touch on it here too. I just, unless you have a specific condition that actually affects different hormones, and there are more hormones than just estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, there are other hormones. So if you have something like PCOS, where there's actually hormone levels that mean something, then that's different. But just checking someone's general hormone levels is not going to tell us anything because the hormone range is so wide when it comes to normal. So you'll most likely fall into normal and it's not going to help guide any treatment or any diagnosis. And there's really no such thing as a hormone imbalance unless you have a condition like PCOS, for example. So when people come to my office, sometimes they come just for that and they get disappointed when I tell them this. But I think also it's really informative to know because I think there's a lot of doctors out there that are kind of pulling one over on people when it comes to checking their hormones and telling them that they have a problem in that area when they actually don't. Okay, so the next episode, that's the number two episode of the Four Vaginas Only podcast, is on premenstrual syndrome or PMS. So this clip that I'm going to insert has to do with how we diagnose it because it really has to depend on the timing of your symptoms. And also we're going to talk a little bit about the symptoms of PMS to figure out if you have it or not. If you want to listen to the full episode, check out the podcast. PMS, long name, premenstrual syndrome, but that's the last time I'm going to say that. From now on, we're just going to keep saying PMS, is a collection of symptoms that happens every month with your menstrual cycle. Not every day of the year, not randomly at sporadic times, but pretty consistently with your period. To be a little bit more specific, it usually starts about five days before your actual period starts and maybe will last about two to four days into your period, but should be completely gone after four days of your period and especially the week after your period's over. All of the symptoms that we're going to talk about should be non-existent. If you do have any symptoms that last longer than that or you feel are on most days of the year, that's usually an indication that you have something else going on, some sort of um, maybe history or new onset depression or anxiety or some sort of underlying issue that's not necessarily PMS. But we're not going to really get too much into the other stuff since today's episode is just on PMS. And I am also not an expert in depression and anxiety. That's more of a psychiatry thing. So I'm going to talk about what I know about. All right. So do you have PMS? That is the question. Um, I know a lot of you out there that are in relationships, the people that you're in relationships with sometimes will indicate to you that you do have PMS. But just because they think so does not mean that that's actually true. Um, but also, you know, it is, it is something that occurs in up to 85% of women that still have their period. So, I mean, it could be, but just don't take everybody else's word for it. Listen to kind of what I'm talking about today and then talk about it also with your OBGYN. 
All right. Now, this makes me think about the last kind of most asked question I want to talk about, which has to do with the breast. And I haven't really done a breast episode yet. So I think now that I'm talking about it, it's on the top of my mind to create one. But a lot of people come in because they're feeling a breast lump or a mass in the breast and also like some nipple discharge from time to time. And some of the tenderness that you feel in your breast with the nipple discharge or the lump can also be a PMS symptom. So take a listen to the full episode to find out why that is. But I will say that fortunately, the most common breast lump is usually benign. It's something called a fibroadenoma. It flares up with your period or around your period. It can become more tender. It's usually on the outside of the breast on both sides. So it's equal on both sides. And it's, it is a mass, but it's a benign mass, meaning not cancerous. But if you feel anything and if you have any type of nipple discharge, especially if it's bloody or green or yellow, And any lump in the breast, make sure you see your doctor about it. All right. Now, the number one most listened to episode of the Four Vaginas Only podcast is endometriosis. (laughs) So the clip that I'm going to insert here has to do with some of the symptoms of endometriosis, like infertility, pain with sex. Sometimes you can get a cyst on your ovary called an endometrioma. So it's really talking about all the things that endometriosis can cause. But if you want to listen to the full episode, of course, it's on the podcast. So this is just a short little clip talking about the symptoms. So let's get into it. Approximately 30 to 50% of people that have endometriosis do also experience some infertility due to scarring that may happen on the fallopian tubes or the ovaries and also just a generalized inflammation that occurs because you have this parts of your lining inside your belly tends to affect the way that the sperm and the egg um, function, which can also lead to infertility. Some other symptoms aside from infertility are having cyclic pelvic pain, which means that every month when you have your period, um, when the body is responding on because of your change in hormones, your endometriosis kind of flares up as well. And you have a little bit more pelvic pain every month than the average person. Although some people with endometriosis do just have a baseline pelvic pain. It's noted that with endometriosis, this pelvic pain either presents or increases each month as your cycle um, comes around each month as well. Also pain with sex. That's a biggie. And not just because of vaginal dryness or because of not being interested in your sexual partner, but you know, you have all of the combinations. You're, you don't have any dryness. You know, you're very excited about the intercourse. You know, you don't have any issues with having sex with this person, but still it's just very painful. I've seen it also be mostly painful with deeper penetration when it comes to endometriosis. Some also have pain with bowel movements or pain with peeing when it comes to endometriosis. Cause like I said, the implants of the uterine lining can be around or near your bowel or your bladder, which can affect these two areas as well. Some can also have very heavy menstrual bleeding. You can also have issues with diarrhea and constipation, which are especially notable around the time of your period. Also, you can have something called sacral backache with your period. So that's basically your lower back has very severe pain um, with every time that you have your period. I know people that are pretty much out of commission because of this back pain. Um, Not only do they have the back pain, but they have the severe cramping, you know, very just classic for endometriosis. 
Also, sometimes your doctor can find a mass on your ovaries, whether on ultrasound or on exam, because like I alluded to earlier, that blood that goes in a retrograde fashion into your abdomen can cause cysts on your ovaries called endometriomas, basically blood-filled cysts on the ovaries. So that's also very classic for um, endometriosis as well. And I'm not saying that you have to have all of these symptoms or, you know, a certain amount of these symptoms, but just when you talk about these things, or better yet, a lot of times people don't talk about these things. They just think it's part of their regular period. And, you know, you're missing work, you're missing school, you're missing activities that you actually want to participate in, and you're feeling miserable. And you just think, oh, this is what women are supposed to go through because they have their period. They've been, you know, damned with this period curse. But really, such severe pain um, and missing out on parts of your life because of it is not normal. <laughs> and it should be something that is discussed with, with your doctor. So when you go to the office and we ask you, how are your periods? You know, how is your sexual activity? Don't be shy about answering with the truth because sometimes we can go down the path of diagnosing you with endometriosis. Sometimes I must say it can be other things, but endometriosis is one of them and we can figure it out together. You don't have to suffer through something unnecessarily. So that's it. A little trip down memory lane with me and the Four Vaginas Only podcast. I want to thank you guys so much for listening over the past few years and listening to all 50 episodes. If you haven't seen already, there is a giveaway going on on the Instagram page. Um, as long as you follow the instructions, there's a little prize and a little thank you in a way for being a part of the Four Vaginas Only family for so long and being part of these 50 episodes along with me. So thank you guys so much. As always, you can catch the podcast on all podcast streaming platforms. You can also follow Four Vaginas Only on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you have any direct questions, which remember, I can't really answer direct medical questions, but if you want to reach out to me for any other reason, you can email me at drc at fvonly.com. So that's the first 50. Looking forward to the next 50. And looking forward to sharing more information and talking with you guys and building the community. So stick around for the next 50 episodes and we'll talk soon. Bye.